Hi friends, and welcome to another Robcast, and today in the back house we have with us our longtime friend of the Robcast, Alexander Shia. Alexander, welcome. Good to be here. Very we, good to be here. You know, when I first started this podcast, I didn't, I hadn't thought, I wonder if there will be people who will become like our, our guides, our gurus, our village elders along the way, and right away, the first time I met you... And then you, we did our first interview. I was like, every time you're coming through Los Angeles, give me a shout. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that. Yeah. And the number of people everywhere I go who are like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, Alexander Shia, that that I'm picking up what he's throwing down. But I, but I, I like to back up to the last time you were here, which was December. Yes. And I remember you weren't feeling that well. Yeah. And there are a couple spaces in the interview when you would like pause um, and it wasn't that you were trying to find the words you had the words your body was like yeah. failing you or something yeah. I mean that's I had that feeling like oh Alexander he's um, and it turns out you weren't well no I was critically ill and an hour after I left here I was in the emergency room and that's where we discovered that I needed immediate urgent surgery and I am so appreciative. And did you know that? No, I didn't. And and the and the weird thing for me uh, was I've always trusted my body and my psyche to let me know when things are not right. And I wasn't I wasn't picking up the cues that how how serious this was. So when wow. they said you need surgery now, I was like, well, can I kind of have Christmas first? And they said no. And they said no. We mean like. Today, tomorrow, now. And what was wrong with you? Um, I had had a tumor in my colon, which is what we knew. Uh, what they discovered in, in the emergency room uh, right after I left here was the tumor in the colon. But the really dangerous thing was is that I had a perforated small intestine, and my body was filling up with not good things. So you so. you left that... that we were interview here. here at my house, you went to the ER. I went to the ER. And discovered all these things that were happening. And if you hadn't gotten right to the hospital, how, how serious was it? The surgeon says I had maybe a day to a week. Oh, my word. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's just so interesting that uh, I had no idea how sick I was. I knew I wasn't feeling well. But not feeling, I, I had just walked the Camino, uh, hundreds of miles across Spain, and came out of that so energized that my, my brain wouldn't connect to the fact that I could be this ill. And surgery, yes, but emergency surgery, may, maybe looking at something uh, very critical. Uh, it just, even, even now when I think back, it's hard for me to grasp how serious it was. Um, does it feel like a... It feels like a different time. What is what is it about the surgery? I remember just now when we were talking, you were saying you can barely remember it. Yeah. Uh, it, first of all, the, the, the surgery was pretty extensive, and I was in surgery for five, six hours. And then I had this huge weight loss. I, I lost almost 40 pounds, which is Whoa. more than 25% of my body weight. Well. And... I, and I was so weak. I mean, the, the first couple of days after surgery, actually the first two weeks after surgery, I could not lift myself up out of bed. I had, I had to have somebody you lift me up. You had to have up. help. 
Uh, so uh, what happens at the beginning is it just becomes about survival. It becomes about uh, eating and breathing and sleeping uh, and being able to physically get yourself out of, out of bed. I mean, the, the first day I was able to get myself out of bed by myself was a huge victory. And then the first day I was able to walk unassisted, another huge victory. Uh, and then I started walking with my trekking poles from the Camino. And uh, that was, and then, and then the day that I could let my trekking poles down and walk on my own was another victory. Oh, my word. Well, I'm so glad. On behalf of all your fans everywhere, I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank <laughs> I'm so you. glad and, you made it. And I'm so appreciative I'm so... Of, of so many people from, from the Robcast have sent me emails and notes. Oh, really? Oh, no, that's notes so great. on Facebook. And uh, believe Seriously. me, they are greatly, greatly appreciated. That's, that's my people's right there. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the, the Camino. Because you had, you had walked the Camino, then you were here, then you were recovering from surgery. Right. Now, in, in a little while, you're going to go back. Why don't you, the Camino is this trail in Spain. It's how yes. many miles? Well, it's, it's how many miles you walk. Uh, people today think about starting in Saint-Jean, which is the last village in France, and going to Santiago or all the way to the Atlantic Ocean. And that is about 900 kilometers or about 600 miles. Wow. And but th- you can walk much less than that. Yeah. You can walk much more than that. Uh, one of the things that, I, that I'm dedicated to is getting the idea out. It's your Camino. You decide what you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you what or how to do it, or etc. Now, the evidence is that people have been walking this trail for how long? Well, uh, at least 8,000 years. (laughs) No way. Right. Um, It is marked by standing stones and religious shrines that we can date back to 6,000 BCE. So Human beings have had some sense that this particular path, if you walk it, Something will happen in your soul or spirit yes. or something. Yes. I mean, I, I call it a, a deep path of growth and transformation, but you know, we can't be really sure why people from earlier times are walking it, but we are quite sure that they have walked it for millennia. Druid priests walked it as the, the last part of their initiation. There are, are uh, There's a string of sites that are dedicated to the Black Madonna or Isis, uh, there's a great association with Venus. There are uh, places on the on the Camino which are dedicated to the Roman god Mercury, uh, on and on and on and on. So the way I describe this is there is a spiritual... Everything is spiritual, right? There is uh, well a spiritual said. energy on the Camino. Sure. And every tribe comes and puts their name on it, puts their way to access it. But but don't confuse the way their name for accessing it with the deep truth, which is much more universal. Uh, Kristen and I call it the Stonehenge factor. Yeah. How certain spaces on Earth, they're thin spaces. They're, they're, there's a hum. There's a something present there. Yes. Yes. And this particular stretch of trail up through Spain has that. When did you first walk it? I first walked it in 2012. I've been wanting to walk it since 1986. 
And uh, very honestly, when I turned 60, I sort of had a talk with myself, Shia, what are you waiting on? And you call yourself Shia? I, well, when I'm having a conversation <laughs> with myself, I do. Okay. And uh, I had a series of, of, uh, of talks and retreats that I was doing in October of 212. And one by one, they all went away. Uh, and in August, I said, all right, the space is there for something. And off I went. Literally, just a pack in my back. I went by myself, carried my own pack, went from St. John all the way to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, didn't know anyone at the beginning, was staying in the youth, in the hostels, the refugios or the albergues at night with all the wonderful people and the smells and the snoring. And, and, and I, I, I did it in the classic way of doing the Camino. I did it in the way that everybody tells you you must do it. But then this past year, I went back in 2015, I went back and, and uh, Kath Connolly, my co-leader and I, we took a group. And this time, we stayed in what are called Casa Ruals, which are these incredibly simple farmhouses that are operated by families that have taken care of pilgrims for generations. And what happens, having walked it twice and having led people on it, what happens in, to people's hearts, their minds, their psyches, their souls? What, ha- what happens? Somewhere along the path... They, they're opened up is the best way I can describe it. And my work, or th- this is hardly feels like work. It's a delight and it's an honor to be with people. Mm-hmm. But what I hope to do is to help people notice those openings. Because so oftentimes we have openings that we don't notice and they just slip by us. That people have a new energy. They have a larger sense of themselves. They connect to something more deeply uh, they begin to resolve a, a hurt or a wound. But the, the challenge is uh, that we, the opening almost invariably happens as we're walking. What most people are not nearly prepared for is the return. There are literally thousands of books about getting ready to go on the Camino. And there's almost nothing that helps people come back from the Camino and integrate the experience into their everyday life. So they go home and they show a bunch of pictures and their friends and relatives listen for a couple of minutes and are like, okay, what's for dinner? That's right. Exactly. And you know, your, your friends will want to hear maybe 20 minutes, maybe if they're really good friends, an hour. If they're soul friends, they will let you go on forever. But we've had an experience that's very hard to put into words. And if someone else hasn't shared in that experience, they don't have a frame to stay with us for long as when we start telling the stories. They, they want to hear the travel log, but they're not usually prepared to hear the deep transformation that's possibly happening. This is not just true for the, El, for the Camino. I almost said El Camino. It is El Camino. It is El Camino. It's the car and it's the trail. Yes. Um, <laughs> but this is true, and this is what I want to ask you more about. This is true of all experience. That opens and expands you. Yes. That those around you haven't tasted what you've tasted, seen what you've seen. Right. Um, they haven't gone where you've gone. And, and you're in another landscape which is almost indescribable because it's original. The number... I don't do a Q&A anywhere that somebody doesn't ask, how do I get my friends and family to understand, see what I've 
seen, what I've read, what I've heard, what's changing me? How do you respond to those questions? Uh, this is going to sound very bad, and let me sort of open it up, but love and kindness. And do not expect your friends and family to appreciate something simply because you've experienced it. If they begin to see how you have more love and are more kind and have wider compassion, they will, they perhaps ultimately will come to be interested in how did this happen for you? How did these, these evident changes, how did this growth happen for you that they, they can feel the love, they can feel um, how, how you're able to, to be more with them in whatever they're going through? Then it's like, oh, something happened for you on the Camino. Then, then they're going to be more willing to hear the story of the Camino or the story of your opening uh, with the possibility that they may want to go find their own way to open. So when, so when somebody says to you, how do I get them to see you simply say, this is about you working it out and you trust that you, if it really has transformed you. you. You cannot get someone else to do anything. That's the first, like the first thing in recovery movement is you can't control people, places, and things. No. <laughs> you may, by the truth of who you are, touch their heart. And if you touch their heart, then you're going to invite them to go on their own journey. Their opening probably is not going to be the way that you opened. They will, they will find their own opening, and they will make their own journey. And if you are that obnoxious, you may be in the way yes. of their opening. Yes. Um, yes. Talk to I, me. I, mean, I, you know, I should send an apology to all of my friends right after I got back from my first Camino. Because of all of the... Because I was a fundamentalist <laughs> evangelist for the Camino. <laughs> now, this is the world's greatest experience. You've got to have this experience. <laughs> Everybody yeah. has to go have the experience I just had. Yes. Um, Which... Okay, let's talk about... When you first came on the first podcast we did, and you outlined sort of the heart of your heart and mind book, the book is called Heart and Mind. Heart and Mind. It's available wherever fine books are sold. And there's this these four questions. Yes. And that Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke, the Gospels, are these four questions. Good student, thank you. And that what Alexander digs up in his book is that the early church didn't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They read Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, because they understood that each gospel was asking a fundamental question of the human story and journey. Right. Um, so can so Matthew asks... How do we face change? How do we how, face how, change? How do we take the seed or, or start a new growth journey? Mark asks, how do we suffer? How do we move through our trials and obstacles and sufferings? John asks, um, How do we receive joy? And then Luke, uh, How do we mature in serving? Or how do we mature in service? And how do you think about those four in terms of the Camino or any... This, this is so critical. Thank you, Rob. Experience, taste, anything that you right. have, have seen that opens you up in new ways. Right. I did not pay you to ask this question. <laughs> I just asked because, the question. Because here's the, here's the thing. Um, 
with with the gospels, everyone is focused on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I understand that. I appreciate that. Jesus is 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 my guide. But these four texts have the journey in them, and mm-hmm. the journey is universal. And what makes the wisdom in it so pressing and and particular and relevant is it's the universal journey that every human person is walking. So when I look at the gospel text, I'm not comparing it against the historical information of Jesus. I'm comparing it against what I know of the journey, whether that journey is the 12 steps of AA, or whether it's Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey, or whether it's the Navajo understanding of, of how we walk uh, the, their, their four rites of initiation, et cetera, et cetera. Every one of us is in submission to this great journey, and the journey has a given to it. I mean, I'm sorry, there are a few givens. You've got total free will about how you want to walk the journey or, 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 or will to not walk it. But if you're walking it, you're going to come up to, you're going to have this rhythm. And this rhythm is just going to be as true as the round of the four seasons. And the question is, are, with, with what interiority, with what intention are you going to be prepared for the autumns of your life, for the winters of your life, for the springtime and for the summer? Do each of those questions match a season? Yes. Matthew is the season of fall, autumn. Uh, most of the world's cultures, most, not all, but most, celebrate a new year in autumn. Why? Because we, we bring in the harvest. The, the old growing season has matured into this beautiful harvest, and now we start a new cycle of growth. But the new cycle of growth is preparing for fallow time, winter. Oh, so the new season isn't spring when everything bursts forth. The no. new season isn't new life. The new season is... The new season is autumn. The whole thing is over. We've gotten a harvest, and now it we're going to plant, and it's all going to be kind of quiet. Right. Uh, so the, the new season is when we go into the quiet time, because the growth is not going to happen at the beginning. The, the, the sprouting of the growth is going to happen on the other side of the fallow time. So... So when someone says, I want my life to be bigger, better, I want my life to be awesome, I want to make a difference, I want to change the world, I want to be a transformed person, you would say, great, it's going to be quiet for a bit. Uh, great. Um, how, are, how are you loving chaos and disorder? And how are you loving uncertainty? How, how are you loving uh, the night times in your life? Because that's the place to begin. That, when I think about in my in, in my life, Every major explosion of new life always began with just terror and darkness yeah. and a flying leap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that personally right now I'm in a new growth point in my life coming out of surgery. It's like I have gone through uh, an intense fallow time. You almost died. I almost died. And, and I'm coming back to life now, but everything is different. And I don't quite know how it's different, except I'm discovering as I am back in my life what, well, I don't want to do that. That, that doesn't feel right. That, that, that was part of the life before surgery. What I'm thinking about, what I'm feeling, what I'm excited about, what my passions are, it's not fully in focus yet, but yes. I know it's different. So you came out, you almost died, you survived. 
and you were like, oh, everything has changed. And if we would have said to you, what do you mean? You would have been like, well, I just know everything's changed. Well, like, what exactly do you mean? You would have said, I have no idea. But you have to then enter back into your life and find out, oh, today this happened. And pre-almost dying, I would have turned left, but today I turned right. Exactly. And you live your way into whatever this new thing is. Right. It's like as as the usual circumstances of my life happen again, I discover I've got a very different response. Uh, I'm not interested in this anymore. I am interested in this. Got it. So then winter is suffering. Spring is joy. Winter is, is mark or how we move through trials and obstacles, suffering. Yeah. Springtime is joy. New, that, that aha expansion. Now I see. Now I see what's been growing. So you were broken, bloody, you were beaten to a pulp, it was confusing, it was disorienting, you got criticized, betrayed, divorced, bankruptcy, failure, fired, whatever it is, and somehow coming out of that, there's like these little bursts of insight or, oh wait, I am, I am going to be okay. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be okay, and I, now I sort of have a, a sense of meaning about why all this, I don't want to say why it happened. Right, but, right, right. But, but but what the gift of it, of its happening has brought what it's going to bring with it, what's yes. going to produce. Right. And but, then but, but this is the critical moment this this springtime because as Americans as Westerners we're all th- this is the moment we're all primed for. This is the moment we're, we're going to we're going to get something for me. But that's not the end of the journey. The end of the journey is the fourth question about service. Because whatever's happened to you has happened to give you something that you also can vitally share with another. You can take it back to your community. You can take it back to your community. Or you can take it back to you're going to live in a new way, which is going to be to live more than just for yourself. Got it. And if you don't go there, which is why so many people say, uh, they say the self-help movement with a smirk, or yeah. in quotes, yeah. because it's uh, self-help is would whatever that's called that genre whatever that is. Um, the reason why it often has like a people speak about it sort of derisively is an intuitive awareness right. that if it's going to help you, then ultimately you're going to have to reintegrate it so that you can then share and bless others. Uh, It won't end with self. And if it does, then you haven't gone the whole journey. Right. Journey stopped too early. Stopped too early. And uh, I mean, don't get me started on on what most of our religions have done, because our religions have have taught us to stop too early. Well, we'll say more about that. Well, um, the third spiritual path has got this incredible aha to it, uh, juicy energy, uh, we feel good. Uh, I've got the answer to life. I've got the answer to my life, which I very soon make in, it's got to be the answer to your life. And I, I've got to convince you of my answer to take care of my own anxiety. So, you know, initially I'm going to be very loving and kind about sharing my answer with you, but when you don't accept it, then, then if I'm not very aware, the coercion and the knife in your back begins to happen. Uh, you must do this. You to to affirm my answer. You must also receive it. And this is just classic, classic spiritual psychology. 
where we have got to understand that everybody will find the opening in their way. They'll find the joy in their way. But the way I found it and the way you find it may be very different. And that's okay. And that's, it's more than okay. It's exactly right. That's how it works. It's how it works. So people, let's take the Camino as a sort of metaphor for the whole thing. Yeah. People go, they hike in Spain, they have this uh, euphoric, challenging, beautiful moment. They open, they open, and then they go back to their job at a bank in Toledo or right. to raising the kids in Texas or to London and have to keep on with life. And what, what in your experience, what happens? Well, let, let's talk about the universal journey, which is coming into play here. Uh, and this is something that I've had to learn both in my own life, but also in, in, in spiritual direction and in psychology. The moment right after the opening, uh, oh my God, all holy hell breaks out. Yeah. Nobody prepared me for the crisis that comes after the opening. And to the degree that it was a true and a deep opening, the crisis right after that is going to be even even deeper and, and, and more disorganizing. So every person is like, oh my word, I got rocked. I, it's, I'm, I don't even know what I believe anymore. Oh my word, it's like the rug's been pulled out from anything. I'm always like, yeah, welcome. That's how it works. Yes, absolutely. The thing that's most terrifying you is proof that you're actually alive and you're actually on the path. Yeah, yeah. Because what, what the opening does is it gives you energy. It doesn't give you content. We think the opening has content in it, but actually what it is, is it gives us a whole new reservoir of energy. And that energy is there to be a, a deep reservoir to help us come to, to the new answers. But the first thing that that energy is going to do is gonna, it's going to wipe away the old. It's like a, a flood. It's going to wipe away the old. The old... So, the old thoughts, the old categories, the old way of responding. And we don't like that very much. I mean, as much as we want to grow, we want certitude and we want the comfort of what used to be. And if the new thing is coming, which means it's pushing out the old, then there is a period when you don't have either. Right. And that's very unsettling. In our culture today, that's very unsettling. So people leave the Camino and they come home. And they've had this opening. They've had this glimpse of a new way of living. But you're back at home. You're looking at the bank statements. You're, you've, got, yeah. you've got to respond to your boss. You've got to respond to your spouse, the children. And, and suddenly all this new energy is all bottled up. And, it, and for many people, it begins to turn against them. And I've, I've seen this in so many friends. They get depressed. Be, uh. Because the life that they were imagining for themselves on the Camino is not sustained when they get home. And now what they've got to do is they've got to understand that this bottling of energy, this depression, is very useful. It's telling them that they're going to now go through a, a very slow process of making new decisions. But that slow process of making new decisions is not necessarily going to be comfortable. So now the hard work begins. Now the hard work begins. And that's okay. It's, it's, the, the Camino has been the very best preparation for doing the hard work of the return. But yes, it's, you know, and 
not the next book I'm working, not the book I'm working on now, but the book after that, <laughs> I think, is going to be helping people to come back. You know, whether that's that's coming back from the Camino or whether that's coming back from from Raw Bell. Uh, <laughs> There's almost nothing out there in the literature about the return. Really? No. It's, here's how to go have an ecstatic, transformational whatever experience, but there isn't a lot on what to do afterwards. Right. When you don't, fit, so you had a group of friends, but then you've had these experiences and you can't just go over to Sheila's house and pretend like everything's fine or cliffs on Sunday afternoon or whatever it is. I'm just making up. Right. I mean, like this, you've always had the way you've done it with your people, and then you've had this thing that changed you, and your people haven't had it, and what do you do now? Because right. it's lonely. Right. And you're going to write that book. I'm going to write that book. And I, I know <laughs> that in terms of the Camino metaphor, what many people are doing is they're returning to the Camino to work it out, to help the experience go deeper and to give them the strength to come back home in a new way. But you don't necessarily have to do that. But you need to be prepared that the return is not going to be necessarily easy. It's not going to be the triumphant, uh, our, our walking hero has returned home. Let's, let's right, all... Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, what do you... Because I know you speak all over the world. Let's say you're speaking somewhere and somebody says, this is great, be nice to have 52 days and however many thousands of dollars to walk up in Spain. But I have a small business and two kids in a small town. Um, how do you talk about the journey when people are like, here's my life. You know what I mean? My leaf roof, my, my roof leaks. I drive a Dodge. Uh, my husband's name is Larry. He works for the cable company. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not a lot of sexy fireworks around here. Yeah. Um, and it'd be nice to go off and just be able to hike and think about mountains and Stonehenge, but this is what it's actually like. What, how how do you how do you talk to people about the four we're, we're, elements of the journey? We're all on the journey. Uh, you you're on the journey doing laundry. You're on the journey uh, if you're a passionate football fan or or uh, Australian rules or soccer or rugby. Uh, th this journey is happening in the midst of the the particularities of your life. So let's, let's talk about when, when you have these aha moments and, uh, and then what happens right after it is uh, your life presents you a, a great challenge and how you're going to resolve that challenge after the aha is going to be whether you have something that you can use to, to live your life with more vitality. Oh, why did, why did, fans have this enormous come down right after their team has had a great uh, season, right right after the Super Bowl is over. Oh, uh, uh, ah, that would be the dog. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yes, my we, word. We, that was like a gunshot. <laughs> okay, why the come down? Because we, we keep forgetting that the aha moment is not about content, it's about energy. And wait, 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 it's not about content. It's not about... It's not about what we're thinking about. It's not about the, the experience. Um, it, it, it's not about having won the football game. 
Uh, it's about that that experience of something greater opens your desire to grow, to be more, mm-hmm. to be more unit, to 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 be more unified, mm-hmm. to live in oneness. But what's going to come right after that is your life is going to present you some serious challenges to that, so that you can actually make that desire part of your everyday life. So you're going to get the lessons if you will move into the lessons um, w- with the right attitude. So the, the lessons are not disconfirming the aha experience. They're actually giving you, ah, here's how you can make that aha part of your, your lived reality. Wow. So would you say to somebody, be on the lookout because... When you have great transcendent experiences, glimpses, you hear something you haven't heard before, keep your eyes peeled because what will come next are challenges that will be invitations to actually embody what just happened. Yes. Uh, Here's an an experience of of a friend uh, that I was sitting with, and she was in a very difficult relationship, and she was really wrestling, do I stay in this relationship? Do I end this relationship? And um, she went on a retreat, and she had this opening, this aha moment. She came back, and she reported to me, ah, now I know. I can, I, can, I can make this relationship work. And I was like, okay, Sue, but I want you to, I want you to let this let, just stay in the fluid. She came back the next week, and she said, yeah, now I know I can't make this relationship work. I need to end it. And I said, Sue, I just just stay stay with the energy, not the content. This is this is uh, the energy is oscillating, like a like a roller coaster. Uh, about a month later, she came back to me and she said, I don't know whether I can stay in the relationship. I don't know that I can't stay in the relationship. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down with my partner tonight. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm really hurting. And here's, I, I want to invite you to be with me in these questions that I'm having. And if you can't be in the questions with me, then that's okay. It's probably going to mean that the relationship is going to end. Because she had worked through the, I have to stay in the relationship, I can't stay in the relationship, and came to this place of spaciousness inside of herself. Spaciousness inside of herself. It was really okay with her whether her partner said, I'll enter the conversation or I won't enter the conversation with her. She didn't have an attachment to his doing one or the other. Hmm. And because of that spaciousness inside of herself, he was willing to enter the journey with her. It still ended up uh, months later with their separating. But they, it ended up as a very amicable separation yeah, where they're yeah. still friends. Yeah. But, what, but the, the retreat experience gave her this sense that she had the answer. And she didn't have the answer. She had the energy. But energy moves in a pattern of up and down, or what we call oscillation. And so she's got to move with that energy until it settles down into what I call spaciousness. And the spaciousness clears us out from our attachments 
to where we can approach another in a place of, if you want, loving kindness and, in, and invite them to something, but with open hands. Then we'll find out what the real response is. Now, that, that's what happens after a third path or an aha experience. But in this culture, we tend to grab the aha and think that's the answer rather than realize that the aha is going to lead us on a journey, an energy journey, to the answer. Wow. Okay, that just raises a thousand new questions. Um, I love answers and energy and the oscillating nature of energy. Okay, what do you... What about those who their primary spiritual conditioning has been go to a service where there's going to be this insanely high, cranked-up emotion and songs and go, yeah, woo, um, and the singers have matching sweaters. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the uh, friend of mine used to call... Uh, church services he'd be like uh you you still involved with that cocaine um which was like you're making people addicted yeah um people can't see that i'm wildly nodding yes yes and then just the other day a friend of mine was talking about this church gathering that was a like uh extremely emotional i'm not really familiar with this but like really emotional uh, I don't even know how to describe it, but it just felt like they were describing an endorphin experience, and that then then there's a then they have another midweek service, and then there are multiple services, and and it was like, oh wow, the people you're talking about sounds like they just go to church all the time. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but you can pretty much be going to something. What is that? Because something within me is like that can't be the path. No, because that that's the third path frozen. And I keep the third go- path frozen. Yeah, I keep you going- even have a term for it. I keep going back to the to that experience to stay on the high, forgetting that the high is just simply energy about opening me to finish the journey. So when it gets difficult, just go back to the opening experience, right? And open back up. Feel great. Or, raise or your hands. Try to get back to that. I mean. The first time you have it, it's a it's a very true deep opening, but yeah. but then I'm like I'm going back to try to recapture what was okay rather than moving ahead. But th- then what happens if somebody for two years in a row every Sunday tries goes back to the opening experience? What does that do over time? I mean, I always it seems like it would I, work I, against maturity and growth. As a general rule, yes. There are always exceptions. We're not against every, gatherings, every, of course. Every, but. Everybody is, is on is on their own sure, path. Sure, sure. But the third path is about moving to the fourth. It's not about staying with the third path. And this is why it's so important in the Christian metaphor that John is the third gospel and not the fourth gospel. John's the mountaintop, and we're not intended to stay there. Uh, I love when I'm when I'm out talking to the high liturgical churches because the last part of Sunday service is, in common language, get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here and get back to work. 
don't stay in adoration. There was a time for adoration. It's very short. Now, take the energy of the adoration and go out and go everywhere with it. By the way, those of you listening, it's in Alexander's book, Heart and Mind, that he sort of outlines why it was Matthew, Mark, John, Luke was how the first church read it, and not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He explains all that. Um, Side note, um, this is fascinating to me. This is really fascinating to me. The nature of spiritual awakening, yeah. the all the ways I understand a craving, craving to get back to the opening experience when the path only goes forward, which is now we have to take the opening and work it out yes. in actual blood, sweat, and tears of yes. everyday life. Yeah. I mean, there's that beautiful text at the end of John's Gospel, uh, which may have been added, but it's still deeply true. And that's Jesus and Peter at the lake. And Jesus is going to ask Peter, Peter, do you love me? Well, Jesus, I, I've, just, I've just had the experience. I've, I've had the weekend. I've had the high. It's like, you know, of course I love you. And Jesus says, go feed my sheep. Go take care of the lambs. Well, that, this is code language. In the first century, who takes care of the sheep and the lambs? The lowliest. Yes. The outcast. People, people who had gone against a taboo in the village are sent out to the fields to take care of the sheep so they will smell like sheep. So that when they come into the village, people know that you've done something terribly wrong and you're an outcast because the smell precedes you. It actually is better than having a bell around your neck. So, in effect, Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I don't want your language and I don't want your adoration alone. Go show me. Go, go do the work, the ordinary, hard, grunt, boring work with the least in, and the lowest inside of yourself and others. Do that with love and kindness. Then I know that the, that the third path experience has turned into your fourth path reality. <laughs> Okay, so the so the Jesus being like, "Hey, feed my sheep," is not, "Hey, I'm putting you in charge of the whole thing." Oh no, oh no. It's n- it's not Peter. I want you to run this thing, and I want you. To, and eventually, I want you to wear a robe and slippers and have a headquarters in Rome. He's saying, "Did you like that, folks?" Um, he's saying, "Oh, really? You love me? Oh, okay. Then roll up your sleeves, yeah, t- and get really dirty with the most grunt work." Yes. And then we'll know that you didn't just have a nice high. Right. right. And, and some, you know, more extroverted people will do that <laughs> grunt work by going out. More introverted people may do that grunt work by working with the, the raw, primitive side of themselves. Uh, both, we need to do both sides of that. The ratio of it is going to depend on your personality and, and your spiritual path. But... Uh, unless we take care of our raw, primitive drives, we don't really go out and serve others. We go out and give them what we're trying to give ourselves, and and we are actually probably trying to force them to accept it because we're still working with, the, our, with our own inner rawness. Now, service is really going out with open hands and realizing that we're standing in the presence of a magnificent other who is going to teach us. 
Seriously, Alexander Shia. So good. So good. It's so, so I, I, good. I love, like, John ends with this beautiful text about sheep that Peter is to go and, and, and be with. And w- when you're reading this one story in four chapters, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, we're going to open up Luke, and right there we're going to have another shepherd story. It's, it is as if one author wrote this story, not four, because when the Spirit writes, it writes something beneath what the ego author thinks the, she or he is doing. So when, when we open with the announcement to the shepherd in the opening of Luke, we've got this recurring theme. The angel is going to the outcast to announce the new birth. Because when, when we're doing the work of service, it's the inner outcast and the outer outcast that we've, that we've got to be in relationship with first. All I can say is thank you. So profound. So helpful. Alexander Shia, ladies and gentlemen, is alive. Amen. He is back on it. He is, the author of Heart and Mind is now going to write his next book. He's flying out of Los Angeles tonight. You have once again opened up literally all sorts of new openings. And help me understand a bunch of things. This is the one where I'm going to be thinking about this tomorrow and think of 11 new questions I would have asked you right now. But I, I got to like think about this. I got to process, which you probably heard a thousand times after you've talked. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Rob, thank you. And again, thank you for walking with me through this surgery. And oh, thank you to all, all your listeners who prayed for me and lit candles and sent notes. Uh, Deep, deep gratitude. Yeah, we're with you. Deep gratitude. You're with you. Thanks. You're our brother. Much love. Grace and peace, everyone.